Dick, thanks very much for coming on board and, and talking with us a little bit. So introduce yourself in case some people haven't seen you around. Well, I I am currently the pastor at Oconee River Church, which is over in Athens Research Drive. I'm also uh, a writer. I'm an author. I've got four books. Mm-hmm. I, uh, and uh, some recent successes with those books. Yeah. Uh, the uh, first book that I ever wrote, Alone Among the Living, has been republished in uh, 2017. Well, and you know, you and I were talking before the show started is that uh, you said I wouldn't categorize myself as a Christian author, but I'm an author who is a Christian. That's right. I mean, my stories, are the, especially the fiction stories, are pretty rough. People are a little bit surprised when they find out I'm a pastor uh, that uh, I even know that people would do such things as my characters do. But if you're going to write. So what, people think that you're a preacher so you don't know? That, like, that I don't know. I was also a football coach, and I was in the locker room so for a long time. Know. So I do know. Uh-huh, yeah, I yeah. do know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I grew up, at, and a lot of these uh, novels are at different stages of my life. Sure. Uh, one growing up in a very rough atmosphere right. when I was a teenager. And uh, where we lived, a lot of people don't realize in this area that there were a lot of people who went missing. There are a lot of murders that took place in the 60s around Jackson, Barra counties. My dad was the uh, solicitor general of uh, the Piedmont Judicial Circuit, that's ba- uh, Banks, Barra, Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were... There was all sort of crime back in the 60s uh, that people just find it hard to believe this kind of thing was happening. Well, yeah, because we always hear about how terrible things are today. So I just thought it was like, you know, like the Andy Griffith show in the 60s. Well, with my dad being murdered the way he was by a dynamite bomb set in his car in our front yard, it it was about as shocking to people at the time as if Andy Taylor Mm. had been murdered. I mean, they... You know, all of this, all of this stuff was going on under, you know, underground. Uh huh. Well, let's 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 talk about that because, um, you know, you did um, lose your father at a young age in a very horrific way, and um, people might not know that about you. Well, I was fourteen years old, and my father was involved in prosecuting bootleggers and car thieves in the area, and I knew he would, you know, was in, you know, lived a life that could prove dangerous. Mm-hmm. And your family lived in? We lived in Jefferson. Jefferson. We were about two okay. miles outside of town. And my dad was 40 years old. He was an athlete. I mean, mm. he was still the, the home run champion in the softball league, you know, mm. even at age 40. I knew my dad could take care of himself. I mean, he was a good uh, uh, shoot. He was a good shot with a pistol. Uh, but, you know, the way he died, you know, somebody coming up in the middle of the night, setting a bomb to his car. So when he uh, cranks the car on his way to court on a Monday morning in 1967, oh. it explodes. And I'm 14 years old. I'm, I'm witnessing this. And Where were you? Were you inside? Or were I you? was in, in the back of the house. It happened at 730 in the morning. I was in bed. And uh, this was in august so you know school's out and i'm awakened by i mean if you can imagine 10 sticks of dynamite blowing up you know 30 40 yards away from you you know it was just this uh, tremendous Mm. blast that got me out of bed and getting me around the side of the house of course i don't know how fast i got around there i mean everything seemed to be in slow motion you Mm -hmm. know on a day like that and you're seeing this it's just a 
a tremendous shock. And, you know, I can talk about it now. You know, it happened 50 years ago. And hmm. I mean, but writing the book about it and getting that out was a very cathartic thing for me to, you know, um, I, I see it differently. It, it has some meaning for me now that uh, you know, when you're writing, you're just trying to figure out what it did mean. You know, what yeah. what all what, what, what are the feelings you feel? I mean, yeah. 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 So. Uh, you know, that's that's the book that got me started writing. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the book I had to write. I just had to write to make sense of things. And the rest sure. of them have been fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I stay busy. Uh, I keep myself occupied. That's I continue to write. I mean, to, to me, writing is a passion and. I'm, I'm going to continue to do that as long as I can. Right, so. right. Well, we're talking about the book that you wrote, um, talking about when your dad um, died and was murdered, and it's called Alone Among the Living. And um, talk to us about what life was like before your father was murdered. What, what was it, the man? Who was the man that was your dad? I, the man who was my dad was a very, uh, very moral, spiritual man. He was not what you would call a churchman. He would sometimes go and sit behind the the pulpit area, you know, behind the wall there and listen to the sermons. But he was very uh, spiritually minded. Mm -hmm. He uh, he felt um, he felt strongly about the the morality of right and wrong. And he was a great athlete. He had uh, been in the Philadelphia Philly organization. He'd uh, mm. been a leading hitter in a minor league. He'd uh, uh, played some football. Played his freshman year at Georgia. I mean, he what was an exciting uh, life. He was uh, he was the athlete uh, that uh, I never became, you know. But uh, the the tie between us, I think, was. Uh, Athletics. I wanted to play baseball, and he was a mm. great baseball player. He gave it up when his uh, father-in-law, my grandfather, George Westmoreland, had a stroke, and he left his job coaching in the in, during the school year and playing baseball in uh, during the season to come back and to take mm. over that law office. He was one of the last men. I think he was the last man to uh, pass the bar by a correspondence course. He didn't go to law school. So he, he passed wow. the bar. That's and, impressive. Yeah. And he, uh, I mean, he was a hardworking, determined man. Mm -hmm. And once he said, Well, it sounds mind, like he was a man of character to stand up against this organized crime. He uh, He's seen, you know, in by the people that knew him and look back on him. You know, they talk about my dad almost like he was Wyatt Earp or somebody. I mean, he... he um, hmm. did a lot to try to, he kept his word about trying to clean up that county and it was hmm. the criminal element there that ended up taking him out. What me at the time when it, when it happened, and this is kind of our story, I was, you know, typical teenager. I was, my love was athletics. Mm -hmm. You're 14. 14 years old, discovering girls, you know, <laughs> I mean, being terrified by them. And, uh, <laughs> uh and I, I didn't, I didn't see God as anything mm. real. I saw him as some kind of idea and way off in the hemispheres somewhere, mm. and did not know him. And when my dad was killed, I mean, I, I was in that darkness of anger against God, anger against everybody else that uh, had not suffered like wow. that. 
I will I will say that uh, I almost didn't survive it uh, mm. myself. I mean, I can understand uh, the darkness. Something like this happens, and you do not have God in your life. You you don't have anywhere to turn. Yeah. You don't have you become alone among the living, and mm. as the title suggests. And I can understand how people can become violent. And uh, I did become violent before God reached out and really touched me. Uh, fortunately for me, rather than having guns, I had on a football uniform, you know. Mm-hmm. And I went, I went berserk out on the football field, which they channeled it into making me a player, <laughs> you know. Right. But I, but I was. Angry. Uh, I was angry. I went out and I took, you know, I had the uh, outlet on the football field for that anger. When that was over, I didn't, you know, the season was over, I didn't. I found myself still angry. And here's here's how God got to me. I, somebody just prayed me through because, I mean, I have no idea why I would go to church on a Saturday night without being made to. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I don't think they could have made me at age 16 to go to church on a Saturday night. I felt drawn there. Mm-hmm. I just felt drawn to a lay witness mission over at our church. And I walked in. One of the people there who was a visitor for the weekend, you know, was one of the witnesses uh, to God's love, looked at me. She's a 13-year-old girl. And she said, you came back. They were, they were shocked that I came back. On a Saturday night. On a Saturday night. You came back. We were praying that you would come back. And I said, well, it must have worked because I can't tell you why I'm here. But but that night I was just looking up at a cross. It was a rugged, you know, just something thrown together. wasn't polished brass. Or, it was real. And I looked at that and just thinking of that cross, I, mm. I thought that was uh, quite a way to die. And uh, a song came into my mind, everybody ought to love Jesus. He died on the cross to save us from sin. And just in my mind, I thought, yeah, everybody ought to. I ought to. Hmm. And that was the moment. I mean, you know, you can't explain Hmm. what happened, but the – I didn't have any – Anything that I could go by. I mean, I just suddenly mm. there was this presence that overwhelmed me. It was a very real presence. It was God. It was Jesus. I mean, because I, I asked in my heart, I said, God, is this you? And it just such such healing, such soothing, yeah. such getting rid of the anger. The anger. Just, uh, my goodness, there is love. There is such a thing as love. I, I could feel it, you know. The turning point for me and uh, I've been trying to I've been trying to deal with that for 50 years, <laughs> you know. Well, now 48 years. So I was 16 years old uh, when that happened. But if if that had not happened, I believe God really saved me. Jesus saved me. I don't think I would have made it if yeah. uh, that had not happened because I was on a path to destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the outside, everybody said, "Well, he's doing fine. You know, he's funny. You know, he's." Mm-hmm. Uh, and, get some laughs and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff but inside I was seething mm-hmm. I was sometimes you can be uh humorous and angry mm-hmm. you know sometimes right. comedians are very angry people you yes. know their their anger is uh you know that's coming right. out well, right below the surface that's oh, right yeah. yeah well you know um you weren't looking for God but he found you that's right I was not I had no idea yeah I had no idea but he found me well um let's take a break and come right back and talk about 
if you would, that moment when you looked face to face with your dad's killer. And, um, and, and like you said, if you didn't have God, you were on the path of destruction. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now you can say, you know, 50 years later, God had this all for a reason and a purpose. And he didn't, you know, that he accomplished something um, out of all of this. And you had a moment where you looked face to face with your dad's killer. What was that moment like? Well, it was an impulsive thing. I found out that he was in the hospital. And at the time, I had begun writing about all of these events back then. I, I was in a class at the University of Georgia, and, you know, I wrote things that ended up being in this book. I, mean, I had no idea I was going to write a book, you know, but I'm, you know. But you're finding a way to process it. I'm, I'm processing all yeah. of this stuff. I had, a, I had a professor who encouraged me to write about all of these things I wrote. Mm-hmm. I'd written about the murder of my dad in that class. It's mm-hmm. the first time I'd written about it. So this, I find out that uh, uh, Cliff Park is in the hospital, and I said, "Well, I'm going to go see him." And I had people that say, "How in the world are you going to go see this guy? He's a convicted murderer. You know, you just think you're going to walk in and just go see him." Yeah. And yeah, I did. <laughs> That's what happened. Did he know who you were? Uh, I told him. I told him I was related to Mister Horde. That was, and he clammed up. He didn't want to talk to me. Um, I guess his lawyers would have told him, you know, you know, just never speak. But what I was doing there is I, I had to go face up to him because for so long I had wanted to kill him. Yes. And now I'm, as a Christian, I'm going in, and mm-hmm. can I, can I release this uh, and lay it down? Can I lay down? Can I can I forgive him? Now, people talk about forgiveness. Uh, I, you don't forgive him for killing your dad. I mean, that's that's between my dad and him. What you? I, I've I've told this to groups. I've had two kids in a in an English class or something. Yeah, I've taught English too. How about that? <laughs> I, I, I'd have them. I'd say now. You know, John, if you slapped Mary, knocked her upside the head, and I said to you, John, I forgive you for that, Mary isn't going to appreciate that very much. But if I say, John, when you slapped Mary, that did something to me. It it, uh, intensified my feelings toward you. But I want you to know that I want to forgive you for how what you did to to Mary affected me. Mm-hmm. And you lay down and release the power that somebody has over you because if you hate them, they got a power over you. That's right. And you've got to release that. And Or, or you know, I could have gone all my life and just heard that name and gone, you know, felt that burn just continue. So how? But you lay it down. How do you lay it down? You... You give it to Jesus is what you do. You you lay it down. So not you were because, you not, were giving it to Jesus way before you you met your dad's met murder. I had I had in my heart said you know I'm I'm going to lay this down. Wow. I'm uh, uh, to me it was like okay, you know I was still affected by it. I mean you know even after becoming a Christian I was still feeling that anger and I said he has killed my father. And in the same in the same vein, he's killing me, and I'm mm. not going to let him take my life. I'm not going to live my life with mm. this kind of hate. And did he and respond I, to all any no, of that? He just blank stare. No, just kind of a blank stare. And uh, I did kind of have a moment when I turned to him, and uh, 
you know, I, I guess, you know, involuntarily, I just pointed my finger at him and told him, you know, because what what this summarized to me, I could have come in and killed you, but somebody up there still loves you. <laughs> that's what I said. And uh, yeah, that's he what, was laying on his back in the hospital. Well, bed. he was sitting he was sitting up in a chair uh-huh. kind of staring at the wall. And I, I could have gone in. Yes. You know, and easy. I could have, I could have killed him. I was a pretty stout guy at age 20, and he was a frail guy of 80. Mm. But God got me and him together at that moment Mm. when he wasn't going to get hurt, and I was symbolically laying down my hatred. Wow. So uh, I try to write about it and describe it in in the book. That's kind of... Yeah, well, and it it, it all goes back to... Without God, that would be impossible. Oh, I'd, I'd uh, still have been, uh, well, probably by then I'd have been dead anyway because I was on such a path of destruction. Mm. I'd uh, come close to suicide. I'd run away mm. from home. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd tried to escape the town, the situation, and uh, would be thwarted. There'd be something that would happen mm. that would just... And and now I believe it was God moving, but at the time I thought, what in the world? I can't even run away from home and get out of town, you know, without getting caught. You know, I didn't even get out of town. Isn't it amazing how God uh, radically loves us? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's wonderful. It I is. mean, it's uh, uh, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's amazing. That's true. That's right. Well, Dick, we're going to move into the next hour together, and I appreciate you sharing this with us because. Um, you know, forgiveness is a hard thing to do, uh, you know, and it, it is. And, 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 and you know, it's especially because I think when we forgive somebody, that means the feeling should be there. And and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. It, and that doesn't mean, you know, but you've got to um, remember that God has forgiven us, you know. And But, man, so hearing your journey to um, your relationship with the Lord and then to to be able to forgive and um, and lay that down. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. I know there's a listener out there that's saying. The person I'm holding this bitterness pales to what you Yeah, it, it's just as hard to forgive somebody who's called you a lunatic than it is you yeah. know, so, somebody who's killed somebody close. Forgiveness is difficult no matter what, how petty mm-hmm. the sin against you. There's still this pride that you have to let go mm-hmm. of to end up forgiving that's right. the person. That's right. So, but, but don't forget, we have the power of God in us. That, that's as, right. as Christians, um, there is no way we could forgive without Jesus. That's right. So, Dick, we talked about your father's murder and how God led you to write a book about it called Alone Among the Living. But you've also written some other novels, haven't you? I got three novels along with that memoir. And the the first one I wrote was back in 05. I was actually teaching school at the time and getting my kids to write and uh, ended up publishing uh, The Race Before Us. And here's kind of the book jacket copy teenage mm-hmm. track star son of a sociology professor puts his father's ideology to work in 1962 rural georgia but he learns that to save a beautiful black girl from a life of sexual abuse he not only must put her life at risk but also his own and uh all of that came from growing up in the 60s in a, in a time that was just racially divided yes i, I uh Played on the last all-white basketball team at Jefferson High School. My senior year, there were four whites and 11 blacks on that team. I was one of the four whites. 
Hmm. Uh, they elected me captain of that team. I hmm. mean, that to me, that was very important as we tried to bring everything together. This this story uh, was came to me in '05 because of something that had happened when I was a kid, and it was uh, you know I'd met this you know girl down in uh, down in the middle Georgia area. I was I was just 11, 12 years old. I was not interested in anything you know other than maybe. Can she throw a baseball? You know, man. But, uh, but my cousin, older cousin, got concerned at this friendship and came in one day to the store and said, "Don't let me ever see you talking to her again." And it just stunned me. I mean, huh. I almost it almost made me cry to think, mm-hmm. you know. But the next day, when that girl came in that little country store where I was, and she said, "Hey, to me, call me by name." I just sort of looked at her, and I, I remember just walking off, and mm-hmm. I never spoke to her again. And that memory came up bubbling. I said, "That how could we, how could I have treated anybody like that? Who did I think I was to yeah. treat somebody like that? Mm-hmm. And this this story became sort of my apology to that girl I never saw again. Never saw again. Never so saw the, again. So you have, you've written some novels, but a lot of it is, is rooted in your true and events. experience, events, yeah. and then your life. You know, Dick, something that you keep saying is that, yes, I am a pastor, and yes, I am a Christian, but I'm not a Christian author. Kind of explain that. Well, there's a Christian genre in which you kind of, you know, expect uh, uh, to God to be a primary character in the in the works and the and some of my stuff God you you don't really see him in the race before us uh, it's kind of like the book of Esther I mean you never hear God mentioned I don't think except in uh, a couple of bad characters profane moments but uh, what this boy does in order to get this black girl out of this situation is very Christ-like. And my belief is that if you can believe that Jeff Powers can do something like this, you're not far removed from believing that Jesus could love you enough to come and save you. Well, and these books are getting in the hands of people who might not um, go to church and right. might not be open to hear the gospel, but they're, they're, you're weaving the gospel through all that you write. Yeah, it's it's there. Of course, through fear of death, the characters, principal characters, are pastors. They're seminary students. So, you know, if you don't want to know what goes on behind the scenes among pastors, you might not want to read that book. But <laughs> they uh, they're very human. But uh, they uh, the understanding that one of the characters gets there is that ministry is more than just getting up in the pulpit and preaching. Mm. There's something that takes place, and can you can you love people? Can you love the dying? Can you love the ugly? Can you love? Mm. Uh, and and this uh, character will come to see what real faith and Christianity is like. Even though he's a pastor, he has a big change. Mm. And the missing boys is. Uh, you know that's that's probably my favorite book right now because it's the most recent. You know, people say, "What's <laughs> can, your favorite?" Can you have one? favorites? It's like what? picking your favorite child. Well, well, I don't I know, know if you can is. do that, Dick. Well, my favorite one is the one I'm going to write next. That's okay. kind of about that. That's, okay, that's you know, it's another. always the next. One. You're moving on to the next one, and this one's still kind of fresh. Came out in 2017, so it's kind of fresh. But uh, that one, there is that moment, and I don't want to give I don't want to give anything away. But there is that moment. When one of the characters describes the need to forgive hmm. something that has done, and it's really just, I've already kind of talked about it, but yeah. it, it, in but this no, case, it's fiction. No, no spoilers. No, no spoilers. No, no, no spoilers. spoilers. Okay.
So what is your uh, writing process? I mean, do you have a special chair or pen or meal uh, that you eat beforehand? No, I have have places that I do different things in the process. And I can go in a bookstore and write by hand and get things underway. You start, you know, I don't, I'm not paying attention much to anybody going on. There's something going on around me and it's stimulating my brain, but I'm looking at the writing in there. Now, when I've got to craft it and write draft seven, draft eight, I'm going to be at the computer and I'm going to be crafting the words to, to move along. But I have different chairs. I begin with You do with have different chairs? Uh, different chairs, yeah. I do have different chairs. One, you know, again, in like different soft, places. Soft different one. places. Do you really? Yeah. Different places. <laughs> I, if I get here, if I get into a particular place, that means in my brain I'm settling down to do this. Mm. And I do the same with preaching. I begin the process not at the desk uh, necessarily. So if but a family when, member sees you in a certain chair, they know not to mess with you. Well, this is where I pray. So, you know, don't, don't mess in that chair. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's kind of right. So, well, that's yeah. fascinating. All right. So do you find that writing fiction is different than nonfiction besides, you know, uh, one is like truthful and one is. Well, fiction, you know, the, the pressure's off in fiction, you know, and alone among the living. I went back and those conversations took place. I mean, when there's a conversation with my Uncle Joe the night before my dad was murdered, I went back when I was 20, when I was starting writing all this stuff. Joe and I sat down with a tape recorder. I said, do you remember what we talked about that night? He said, I can almost tell you every word. Mm. And we went through it again. I taped it. It ends up. You know, the bulk of it. So the accuracy is. The I mean, you want to be accurate. I got to be accurate. I yes. mean, in in uh, the fiction, I mean, let the imagination take over. At the same time, you've got to. Everything's got to be made real. Mm-hmm. Fiction's been called the lie that tells the truth. You've got to make your story world believable. You got to make your characters interesting and mm-hmm. believable. If you jump out of that story world and anywhere during that book, you know, people are going to swing it toward the trash mm-hmm. or take it back to the library or whatnot. <laughs> they're not going they're not going to finish reading it. Right. So you've got to stay in a certain within certain boundaries. But there's much more freedom in fiction. Yeah. And so it, it to me is just a lot more fun. So, Dick, you're also a pastor of Oconee River Church. Tell us about the ministry there. Well, we're. We're a small congregation. We uh, launched a church back in 2001 uh-huh. and uh, did it with 28 people. I don't, need, I don't recommend it. That's not <laughs> how you do it today. I mean, you, you start with 500 today and get you <laughs> another right. campus somewhere. But, you know, we started, felt like that's what God wanted me to do. We were in four different locations before we finally were able to buy a building over in Athens. We were in Oconee County for... From 2001 until 2015, mm-hmm. and we were we started out at uh, at Athens Academy. We were there for two years in a big auditorium, 28 people in a 400 seat auditorium. <laughs> Used to have to rope off the sides and say, "Come on, folks, you got to sit down here." In, yeah, in yeah the, the people section. still try to get in the back row. No, they go to the. I'd, I'd be preaching to somebody over in the right upper corner, and then somebody <laughs> in the lower left corner. And I'm thinking, this is not really a congregation here. We're not. You don't even speak to each other. So, uh, just rattling around on that building, huh? And we we were there two years and went to the Bishop Community Center. We okay. were there for a while, mm-hmm. and then we had a flood down there, and all the 
kind of ruined the basement down there for a long time. The sewage seeped up. You, you know, didn't which, do that, did you? We didn't do it. You were it, not it was, responsible for that. No, we were not responsible. It was something that came up beneath the ground. <laughs> Yummy. And so we we missed one week. It was the only week we missed. Uh, and Tom Lord opened up Oconee Chapel over there. We worshipped in a funeral home for, you know, several years mm-hmm. and then uh, finally <laughs> bought a storefront not we rented a storefront for a year and a half or so out on highway 15 and finally on research drive uh, we ended up there's a building we've completely refurbished it remodeled it repainted new carpet new light new you know it knew everything and we had the money to do it you know because we, we didn't do anything fast we i guess uh, i know this is a aesop story but we were the Turtle Church, you know, we were the tortoise church rather than the hare. We didn't go. A lot of a lot of churches start off and they're going lickety split for three months and then where'd they go? You know, I yeah. mean, but we we've been we've been there for seventeen years. You know, I mean, in a like you said, a, a tortoise but faithful, but but faithful and yeah. and plotting. I kind of joke. It's a call it a Heinz fifty seven church. It seems like that's what our average attendance is going to be. You uh-huh. know, fifty. Some come, some go. I'm going to be 57, but it, but it's a probably. I can't imagine a better congregation. Mm-hmm. I mean, our folks, you know, they're, they're just wonderful people. And I know pastors are supposed to say that, but I mean, I, I've got uh, a prayer group, and I came this morning. Uh, you know, before we got here together, I had a prayer group that we mm-hmm. had one. Uh, our church is a praying group. We've seen miracles. Uh, you know, we're not flamboyant about them and all that, but we have seen God do some things because of our prayers. We mm-hmm. know He's at work. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are six men, so, uh, sometimes seven, you know, that can uh, meet together, and it's, you know, we have a wonderful fellowship. How did the Lord call you in the ministry? Was there like a well, he, moment? He, yeah, this? he called me Dicky when he uh, called he me. Called me. <laughs> <laughs> he called me because God he, has a He got right down to the nitty gritty of it. You know, you really want to hear this story? I, I mean, there were a I lot. I want to hear the story. Okay, there were a lot of things that led. I fought him for years. I mm. did not want to be a pastor. It wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to be a coach. You know, I was a English teacher, football coach. You wanted to be a baseball star too. A baseball star, all those things. Wanted, you know, the fame and the glory and all that. And the and wealth. It, and it, yeah. yeah. And the love, you know. And the, yeah. But uh, I was actually coaching football at a decisive moment. I was coaching for Commerce uh, High School. I was the halfbacks coach. And I know we don't have enough time to really lay out this story, but uh, we're playing our my alma mater. And my, you know, our arch rival, Jefferson. Jefferson High? Jefferson High. Okay. It's, uh, and we get behind three to nothing in this football game. We're at Jefferson. There's about 10,000 people at this game. And we get a first and goal down around the four-yard line. We're down three to nothing, second quarter, and we're, we're about to go take the lead. <laughs> first down play. All right, you, Bobby Lamb is our quarterback. He's a coach at Mercer now. He uh, Bobby... We ran the option. It was an option. It was a 38. It was to the right. And my halfbacks, one was supposed to block a corner or whoever showed up there, a loaded block. The other one was to take the pitch if Bobby decided to pitch it. We have options. He uh, he fakes to the fullback. 
my man misses his block. My back, I'm the halfback's coach. My halfback misses his block, forcing Bobby to make a pitch a little quicker than he wanted to. My other halfback, rather than protect the ball and say, okay, we got three more downs to score here, tries to one-hand it behind him, fumbles the ball. <laughs> they, The ball bounces up just beautifully into a defender's hand, and before any of, us turn, any of my players turn around, he's 10 yards down the field for a 90-something-yard touchdown, Oy. 10 to nothing. It's 10 to 7. We get beat 10 to 7. Uh. I'm going off the field, and I'm, I'm just, you know, this is, I'm devastated, and I hear this one so word. Close. I hear this one word. And you, you know, every Christian who knows this story will understand the significance of this one word. It wasn't Dickie, really, but it was one name. Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. That's what, you know. And I thought that Coach Ray Lamb was going to turn around and say, who's running from his God? Who's sinking my football ship? You know, and uh, <laughs> it, it was me. And I thought, okay, God, you know. It, it wasn't that that was – it was everything had been building. and You were you in the belly that. of the fish. And that's right. After that game, I sure was. It was uh, – you didn't want to go to you didn't want to go to the film room on Sunday, and you didn't want to go to practice on Monday. You know, I mean, your guys, both of your guys, on the, on one. And so play. God revealed to you that you were in rebellion. You were not. Yeah, I'm. I'm not supposed to be here. That's kind. Of, mm. I'm not supposed to be here. What I'm doing is honorable. What I'm doing is good. It just I, wasn't your path. What it was, what I wanted to do, yeah. and God had been dealing with me. I want mm. you to leave. I want you to go to ministry. So what happens when I go to when I leave and go to the uh, Asbury Seminary? Oh, I think I know the story. Yeah, we uh we uh, spend the night in Richmond, Kentucky. <laughs> and we have a 24-foot U-Haul truck. And during the night somebody hot wires the truck no, stop. <laughs> and runs off with the truck all of our belongings you know we arrive at seminary no. with a change of clothes oh you know? dick and, i uh, see i thought what you were going to say is i left and jefferson high went on to no win. no commerce the next year went on to win the state yeah okay. it was commerce okay. right? so they yes commerce. they did okay, so they, they did. went on to win the state championship the next year because jonah because left, I left. <laughs> there you go <laughs> so what are your thoughts on christians engaging the arts I was very much helped by St. Augustine, who said that we can learn from everybody and who really, you know, brought his own occupation into the ministry as a teacher of rhetoric. And the the arts, if if we just give them over to people who are complete skeptics, then we that's what we have. Mm-hmm. And if we just go in-house, and we talked about a Christian genre, you know, if we just do that so that it's just Christians reading our stuff, then, well, you're not getting, you're not getting the truth and the message out to anybody else outside the, outside the walls. So I feel like, to me, and Flannery O'Connor was, a, you know, one, I, I'm, you know, she was from Milledgeville. She was a. If you did not know her faith, you would think, "My goodness, her characters are awful," mm-hmm. and they are. But she's showing the Christian faith sort of from an an opposite uh, yeah. view, from a from a view in which, okay, the hypocrisy is exposed, but mm-hmm. as we expose it, let's look at what the the truth is and what mm-hmm. reality is. So, I I would say. Uh, I've struggled with that, Jules. I mean, I've struggled. I thought, well, I'm a pastor. I ought to write. Somebody mm-hmm. says you ought to write devotional books. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's not that's, where God's led you. That's not where I've been led, mm-hmm. and I've had enough confirmation 
that people have been moved by my books toward God. Yeah. That uh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess that's my answer for that. You know, <laughs> engage. You, 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 go there. Yeah. Go, if go God is called, whatever you do. I yeah. mean, if you're an artisan or an artist, whatever you do, do so for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing any. I mean, I've got some pretty rough things in there, but it's not just for the shock of it. Mm-hmm. It's because can you see? Can you see the truth? Something true about life in all of this, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. That, so if you're a businessman making widgets, do it for God. Do it for God. If you're if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're doing laundry, do it for God. That's right. Yeah, that's it. I mean, what and that's that's in the scripture. Whatsoever you do, do it for as unto the Lord. Yes, so. yes. Well, you know, we talked, uh, Dick, all night about your books. How can somebody get your books um, and get a copy of them? Well, I know that uh, locally, Barnes and Noble has kept two of the books, uh, "The Missing Boys" and "Alone Among the Living." All you got to do there is just go straight in the store and go to the. You know, if I can do a commercial for them, I guess, but <laughs> go straight in, and it's at the service desk okay you know they've kept those books there mm-hmm. uh, over the past few months the others right now you can you just about have to going to get online cse pub you can get online and you can follow my books there uh the two other books uh, through fear of death or you know you can you're going to have to get them through um e you know if you got a kindle mm-hmm. or if you got a nook I've got uh, three. I got all my novels on Nook, as mm-hmm. well as what you see the hard copies here. Okay, and then you know we talked about uh, you being a pastor at Oconee River Church. Would you give the address out so someone can That's get three nine five Research Drive, Athens, Georgia three zero six zero five? Ain't no job. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Hey, Dick, I had a great time with you. Thanks so much. Enjoyed it very much, Jules. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank uh, you. Hey, and thank y'all so much for listening to the Jules Show.